Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I am so excited to sit down with the performance coach of all performance coaches. This man has a list a mile long of the people he's worked with. He is responsible for over 40 gold medals. He has worked with Tiger Woods. He has worked with Nike, Hitachi, Bulletproof, Lance Armstrong. This man is the corner man to the elite, and you'll see exactly why that is on today's episode. I tell you, this guy is absolute fire. We got to sit down for uh, an hour, but I tell you, I could have sat there for three to four hours. Please make sure to check him out at drjeffspencer.com. Check him out as Dr. Jeff Spencer on Instagram and Dr. Jeff Spencer wherever Ever you can find him. This man will absolutely change your life and help you to get into a gold medal mentality. Enjoy the episode. And remember, if you gain any value from today, share this with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all your support and we appreciate it. Enjoy the episode. If he approved of it and he said yes, so we went with it. Okay, well, you got the highest authority in the land giving you the nod. So where do you go from there? Oh yeah, That's well, <laughs> it was it was awesome, and it, it's you should see the. Let's see if you can see the side. Like it's the silver on the back. Oh, I did not. Oh my gosh! Now that just puts it over the top. I mean, that's. <laughs> Actually, that gets an A plus with that man. The <laughs> aluminum siding on it—you got to be kidding me now. It's That's the, just too good. Oh well, I I thank you. Hey, I've been uh, I've had so much fun, man. Like I have uh, been listening to you on Clubhouse. I feel like I feel like we're brothers anyway. Um, and so I'm the I totally man, absolutely. You know, so I've been <laughs> I've been listening on Clubhouse. It's been amazing. You've been doing some great things. Um, I I love it. Um, I I'm just so glad that. I'm catching it before the whole world catches it because yeah, totally, man. once the whole world catches it, it's over. It's over. It's totally over, man. <laughs> so again, Hey, I got to tell you, it's like, um, I think Nick sent me uh, your info on the website and stuff. You have got the best logo on the planet Thank of you. all time with the hair logo. <laughs> I mean, that is the biggest freaking genius I've ever seen in my entire life. So just big hats off to you, man. Way to Thank go on, you. Man. You know how much it cost me? What, like five bucks or something? It cost, me, it cost me $75, uh, a 21-year-old a, a graphic artist. I still haven't found her. She did it for me years ago, 15, uh, 15 16 years ago, yeah. and charged me 75 bucks. And she, last I heard, she was in the Pacific Northwest. And I can't find her. I want to find her because everything, oh, it's this side, everything that we have, books, all yeah. the stuff is that. And um, oh, yeah, I see it on the book too. Yeah, and that's I want, amazing. And I want to say thank you to her, so. You know, it's one of those things that probably the academics looked at as a trial run, a test run, didn't take it seriously. You know how those guys are always like that, right? Then it turns out to be the genius of all time. So, uh, again, when I saw that, I saw the picture of you and your kids and your wife and everything, and it's like you guys carry such a, a beautiful harmonic in terms of just the resonance of the language that you choose and the uh, things that you pursue for what, for what reason? I mean, there, there's another dimension to you guys. I, I hope people see that. Well, I, I really, really appreciate I really it. Do. So Dr. Jeff, like how, how were you able to start to see those things? Because I, I tell you not all, and you know, this from, from professional sports, not all people who perform at a high level can coach at a high level. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's like, for me, I've always had that gift. I don't know why I can just sort of clairvoyant. If I see a picture, the totality of the experience, uh, 
suggests to me the direction that it's headed and also shows me the solution to avoid the problem and capitalize on the opportunity. I, I don't know why that is. I mean, channeling maybe. Um, you can't just credit it to the academic or experiential background. I don't know. It's just one of those things. You see it and you know it. You know, it's kind of like you. I'm sure that when you know that there's a product or there's a color that's got to be there, you know it because you know it. You don't know why you know it, but you just do and you trust it. That's the only way I can explain it. So when did you, I mean, when did you start to trust that? Because, you know, like say, let's, uh, let's talk about Jeff when he was a little kid, right? So Dr. Yeah. Jeff, now I could call him Jeffrey because he wasn't doctor at the time, but right. young, <laughs> young Jeffrey, uh, when did you start to, under, like, when did you start to understand that, that you started to see these things and who gave you permission to step into that? Yeah, that's great. Well, I think first and foremost, I always had that, uh, it was a curiosity, but it wasn't like a cat curiosity chasing a mouse, but I saw connections between things that I didn't understand, but it was too purposeful to be an accident. So I wondered about it. And when I wondered about it, eventually I saw what the connection was. It was revealed to me. Nobody really told me what it was and nobody told me I couldn't because my parents uh, were there, but I'd never remember once ever sitting down and having a meal together with them. It's just like this giant blank. It never occurred to me that, parents are there to be a guidance. So I never heard you can't, but I never got it. Oh, goody, goody, goody either. You know, it was kind of like a neutral experience and I just had the self-start gene. So it never occurred to me that it was anything other than uh, up to me to decide what I was going to investigate, so on and so forth. So when you're, when you're a performer and when you're an athlete, a lot of times you get to avoid fights because you're good at those things, right? You're good at the thing. And a lot of times maybe bullies don't get you or whatever it is. Did you have to fight when you were a kid? When, I mean, when you were growing up and stuff like that? I mean, were there, were there people that were challenging you or they, they, like the schoolyard? Well, that's sort of curious. It's like, I never had the, uh, the physical combat side of it uh, for sure. Um, and I, I don't know why I didn't, I never avoided it and then I didn't seek it out. And I'll also say that uh, I was never motivated by if somebody tells me I can't do something, then I'm going to show them that I can. That was never a motivation. That doesn't work for me, man. It just does not work. <laughs> Total <laughs> flop, zero, nothing. And so, um, but I did experience a lot of uh, um, ostracization with the ambitions that I showed later on when I thought, you know, I had these, this ambition to become an Olympian. I, let me take pull this back a second here and say that, I was intrigued by the Olympics when I was seven and I always thought it'd be cool to be an Olympian to march into the stadium on the opening day ceremony parade. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I thought that that would be the coolest thing ever. And then, um, uh, when I was 10, I showed an unusual ability on a bicycle so much so that people really encouraged me a lot. And I showed this very precocious ability and I, I realized that's how I was going to do it. But the point I was going to, uh, make about that is that I, I, always kind of felt like the target chose me rather than me choosing the target. And I was okay pursuing the revelation of what occurred to me that called me to it. Not that I'm reluctant to make a decision on my own, but I feel that when you show up of service to whatever you're gifted with and you pursue it with everything that you've got to, to honor the privilege of that, then it takes a lot less time and effort to get to that, but then you don't really identify with it as you, you don't hang on too long and you can move on to next. I mean, that's kind of the way that it's always worked for me. And I, I've never been bored. I, I'm not um, restless. I don't have restless soul syndrome, meaning that I just got to keep moving and keep myself preoccupied. 
I've never really felt like that. I've always felt like there's a natural evolution where things naturally wind down on their own. And when they do, there's always going to be something to replace it. That's a natural transition as you're evolving your uh, level of uh, interest and your uh, ability to see opportunity. Then there's a certain thing that shows up that if you can read how your truth speaks to you, then you can engage it in a nonverbal way. You just kind of know that it is because you know that it is. And, and eventually you start to learn to trust that. So you get out of the pro and con list in your head and you let your kind of soul inform you that then you can attach words to explain it to others. So that's kind of the way it's, it's always worked out for me. So let's go back to uh, seven years old. Who'd you see as an Olympian that you say, because I can remember at seven years old, um, you know, seven years old for me, um, I saw the Olympics. Um, it, it was never really a desire uh, of that. But who did you see? Was it a cyclist? Um, was it a was it a sprinter? Was it a shot putter? Was it a discus? Well, who'd you see that you said I want to be that at seven? Well, it was actually the parade. I just thought you it'd just be saw cool the parade. To march. Yeah, I thought it'd just be really <laughs> cool to march into the track where you make that right hand turn onto the track and everybody goes crazy. I don't know why. I just had a natural gravity towards that. It wasn't towards any kind of athletic. Uh, event but but i was a very physical kid anything that involved running jumping throwing tossing banging into each other i mean i was just like born a warrior i was just born just really physical and not because i was angry not because i wanted to show people who i was to showcase myself but i i've always had this kind of natural physicality to myself that uh wanted to explore whatever limits were put in front of me Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by Squeeze Dried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. SqueezeDried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's CardenasLawGroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening. Hopefully, you're continuing to enjoy the episode. So when you were 10 years old, did you go full mm -hmm. spandex? I mean, you said that you, that you saw, <laughs> you, you saw, you, you, really funny. that people saw you because I didn't go full spandex at first. I'm a cyclist, but I didn't go full yeah. spandex, uh, Dr. Jeff. Let me tell you about this. I got out and I was so excited that I put on board shorts and I rode and it was like a, a kite. You know what I'm saying? And I had a shirt on because I was not trying to go full spandex. And then I started to creep into it. I put my spandex on. Then I put my, uh, my uh, uh, board shorts on. And then I'd ride out a mile, have a backpack on. I'd switch into the full spandex. And then before I got home, a mile before, I switched back into my shorts and then I came home. And then yeah, I remember I, one I day, I remember one day, it was a solid day. I remember it was nice outside. It was sun shining. And I was like, look, I'm going full spandex. I'm in. Because once you go, you can't, you can't turn back. You know no what I'm talking back. about? No turning back. I no, went no full spandex. Back. It was the most freeing thing in the world. It was like swimming naked. Totally. It's like swimming naked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, that's absolutely right. And I went in and then I came back and, and the salon that we had in Carlsbad is uh, we, had, we lived above it. So I had mm -hmm. to walk through the salon to get, and I forgot, <laughs> I forgot I was in full spandex. And I stopped and had conversations, regular conversations. And Dr. Jeff, you know you can't have a normal conversation with a person who doesn't cycle in full spandex. So at 10 years old, when you said they found that you, you, people saw that you were a good cyclist, how long did it take you to adopt and go all in spandex? You know what? I, I never thought about the uh, ramifications of showing up <laughs> out of dress, so to speak, there. So I just went all in, you know. And, but but what's really funny, I, I said earlier that I didn't have physical uh, a challenge with other people calling me out, but I, but I did. Uh, I was 
but even the parents of my friends just made me the laughing stock because of the tight shorts that I was wearing at the time. And I was, uh, I was actually really hurt by that emotionally because, uh, I was not out there to prove anything. I was out there to explore a possibility mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand why would people make fun of me if I wanted to develop my talents to test myself against the possibility? Why would you possibly do that? So I was really kind of hurt by that because I'm, I'm a sensitive sort of guy, you know, yeah. and, and I never, and, and my friends rejected me, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do any of that stuff. Not because there was any moral objection to it, but it just wasn't within the sphere of my consideration because it didn't interest me. I'd rather be riding my bike. There was no judgment, nothing. And so that, that was, that was really a, a rough period being completely insulated and isolated because I couldn't turn my back on a calling and it's not that I was tied to it. My identity was coming from it, but I sort of felt like, you know, if there's a psychic cosmic deal that's done, like you're given a gift, I kind of feel like we're obligated to step into it and showcase and honor it because every time we do that, we're honoring the fact that we had a gift. We're saying thank you to everybody that helped us. And we're also showing other people it's possible that it inspires them to do the same. So it was very awkward for me for maybe four or five years to go through that, um, you know, junior high school, middle school, whatever they call it now up through high school at the end of high school, it it sort of didn't matter, but there was really an awkward four or five years in there for sure. So talk to us about that because I think there's so many kids going through that. My daughter is 12 years old right now. And she told me the other day, she's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm figuring it out, but she had just told me like six months ago, I said, baby, always be yourself. And she looked at me and she's like, duh, dad, everyone else is taken. And but she's finding yeah. herself at 12 years old. How, like, you have such a calming spirit. I listen to you on Clubhouse. Now, I'm an excitable guy, but I'm excitable <laughs> because I'm just excited about everything. You are excited, yeah. but you stay so calm. How were you able to stay calm at 14 saying, this is my gift, although you're bullying me, although you're making me feel this way. And how did you get in touch with those type of feelings? Because at 14 years old, I know I wasn't yeah. being like, I'm feeling this because of this. I was just mad. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know the answer to that. It's just there was something in me that was able to stay on track with what had to go right to get to where I needed, where, where I needed. I, it kept me on track to do what had to go right for me to keep moving forward. And I felt there was no conflict whatsoever because I had an intimate relationship with that. I knew exactly what it felt like, and I knew how to answer the call each and every day. Um, I knew how to keep my distance from the uh, distractions of being ostracized from what were once my very close friends. I never felt like that was a problem or I was turning my back on them, even though I was accused of that. Um, I never felt that. I felt that I, my allegiance is only going in one direction towards what I'm called to do. And I'm not doing it for self-serving reasons. And I was okay with that. I wasn't conflicted. I mean, I was sad about it, but I didn't let it stall me or put me uh, into a tailspin. It didn't happen. So, Dr. Jeff, when did you find a spandex friend then? What age were you when you found the spandex friend? And was there music? And was there fog in the room too? (laughs) And you looked across, you were in your spandex, they're in their spandex, and you were like, we are both in our calling, we're good. Yeah, well, actually there was. We (laughs) we actually pulled out out the big guns, man. Um, (laughs) It's when I met my coach. My coach was a a three-time Olympian, five-time national champion, and it was a two sport Olympian and speed skating and cycling. So, I mean, he was the big dog and he saw something in me that he took a liking to, and he took me under his wing. And I, I had three angels in my life and he was the first angel. Mm. And he said, uh, you know, Jeff, um, I need to just share with you a couple things here. 
And that's first and foremost that well and talent are something, but they're not enough to craft and tease out your greatness. He said that learning, uh, uh, actually winning is a learned skill and I'm going to teach you the skill of winning. And that's exactly what he did. He took me through step by step, uh, at a pace that I could absorb at that age and evolve with over time. And he taught me the art and the science and the application of winning. And so that was a gift that is incalculable. Um, and I was uh, uh, honored enough to be able to share that experience with him. And uh, that was the first of the angels um, because he didn't want me to be the second version of him. He wanted me to be the first version of me. So there was never uh, any conflict of who the boss is or why we're doing this. I mean, he was just there to show me how it's done. And he, the feeling I got from him is that if I was going to be anything, that the merits of that would be demonstrated in what he would be sharing with me and that he would take me as far as I could go, which was literally all the way. Ten years later, I was oh, an Olympian. So wow. owe him everything. For sure. How for how was it? I see the uh, you know, I see the emotion. How was yeah, it? How was it to walk in that parade? Because it wasn't just for you at that time. That's for your first. That's for your first angel too. So you're. I mean, are you with him yeah. at the time? Uh, no, I was not. Um, I was uh, flying solo with the Olympic team. You know, it's a very exclusive, very complicated situation because of logistics and security and things like that. But you know, I, I guess the proudest. Um, moment for me, I'll, I'll share this with you, is that um, when I was nine, I was working in a bike shop. I, I don't know if you call it working. It was more like a mascot than a, an employee. And uh, this guy came in wearing this T-shirt that said USA Olympic team on it. When I saw that, it's like, I want that T-shirt. I just saw it. There was a gravity, and I knew the only way you could get it was to become an Olympian because you couldn't get it online. There was no online then. And so I went home, and I, I draw a picture of the jersey on a piece of paper with my crayons, you know, and so that was my logo for the next 10 years. And I looked at there every day and I had a very simple mantra, work hard, be brave and no excuses. That's how I was going to do it. Gave myself 10 years. And so I looked at that t-shirt every day and I wanted to put that t-shirt on more than anything. I just felt like, you know, this is my raison d'etre. So when I did become an Olympian and we got all our official Olympic swag, I took it back to my hotel room. First time I ever slept on a king size bed because I come from welfare family. So I, I went through all my suitcases, all the all the official Olympic stuff. And, you know, I was looking through this. And of course, you know what I was looking for? I was looking for the T-shirt. So all of a sudden, I found the T-shirt. And so I pulled the T-shirt out. I looked at it. And I put it, draped it across the bed. And I stepped back and I looked at it. Man, that's the T-shirt right there. It's the freaking T-shirt, the T-shirt. And so I went to put it on. I couldn't put it on. It's like, this is too sacred. It's like, this is not mine. I mean, everybody that helped me deserves to stick an arm in one of the sleeves here. I just couldn't put it on. And I had this kind of feeling, I don't know how to explain it, but there was this presence of being that said, put the t-shirt on. And I said I, to myself silently, I, I don't know if I can do that. And then it said, put the t-shirt on, like really insistent. Have you ever had that feeling like you better do as I say, otherwise it's trouble. So I'm, pretty obedient to that. So I put the t-shirt on. It was really interesting because when I put the t-shirt on, I started to straighten up and I felt, you know, my chest out, my chin up. And I realized that I thought the whole t-shirt, the idea of that was to put it on for myself. And I realized, no, I'm putting the t-shirt on to show others what's possible. Like it was done to me. So at that moment, I realized that there was something bigger 
to the Olympic experience than I thought that it was. And it really began with the fact that every one of us has the ability to say something to others that need to hear what we uniquely have to say in our own way. And what we do and how we show up and the words that we select do have a calling. So never discount anything that you say and how you show up because you never know who's listening. That was the really big take home for me. Dr. Jeff too, like, and I see, I mean, you coach some of the greatest people in the world. I mean, some of the, some of the people, you know, you too, Tiger Woods, Richard Branson, um, you know, Olympic, uh, uh, Olympic cyclist team, things like that. Um, but let's talk about the, the, the one who teaches you, which is, yeah. which is your daughter. And you adopted this young lady from Columbia and I heard you speak about her and you, I, I mean, I could feel your heart come into, I mean, Obviously, people are able to learn from your from your technique, be a champion, all those things. But it was amazing yeah. because the tables turned when you started talking about your daughter. Speak to me about that. Yeah, well, um, when I was uh, 58, we adopted our daughter from Columbia, and people thought it was crazy. It's like, okay, so you're 58 at the height of your game, and you're going to adopt this uh, a girl who's 10 from rural Columbia. Like, what are you doing? Like, kids at that age – their behavior problems. And generally what happens is that after a year, you can't take the lying, the cheating, the complete disrespect, the behavior issues, you give the kid back and then you get divorced. That's what people said to me. It's like, you're crazy. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I know how my truth speaks to me. And we were again called to this. I just know this. So once we went through a couple of years of paperwork and all the other stuff you got to get to, we adopted her daughter and then we brought her back to, to California. Um, and then when she put her first footprint on the U S soil, then she became a dual citizen. And I turned to my wife and I said, um, we need to chat here for a second because, um, number one, she doesn't speak any English and we don't speak any Spanish. That's a problem. Uh, we have kind of three sign language words, be quiet, sleep and eat. That's, where we are and she has no school, you know, why do you need to go to school in rural Columbia? It doesn't mean anything. So nobody goes. I said, she's got PTSD and ADHD from getting beat up and physically abused since the age of four repeatedly. She's got a parasitic ridden body, severe malnutrition for 10 years. She's got every risk factor known to human on a scale of five. She's a 50. I said, you know, I don't play a bronze medal game. You know that I said, I only know, one way to play this gold medal. I said, that's my calibration, just the way it is. And I said, because of that, we ask her into our world, we have to deliver on a promise. So starting tomorrow, I cut 90% of my workload out along with it goes 90% of our income so that you and I can be your father because we have to fulfill our obligation to her. That's why we're here on this planet. A deal's a deal. And so that's what we did. And um, I can honestly say that uh, my wife cried every year, every day for nine years and 10 months. It was so difficult. Um, we had a staff. It seemed like a thousand people, doctors, psychologists, uh, soccer players, tutors, coaches, everything to try to keep her in the game, not just to catch her up, but just to keep her in the game long enough to develop some skills to start to find her own way with the, that incredible liability. Um I can tell you it's the hardest thing I've ever done uh, on a scale. I mean, the Olympics was just easy compared to raising my daughter, but I'll, I'll say this is that she's going to graduate from college here in a couple of months, which is its own miracle. But to really say like, um, 
she was her own uh, angel because she was such an adversary. And what I do believe and know is this, is that um, if life is too easy, then we're never going to be called to our highest game because there's no reason to look deep below the surface to look for answers that we will find is a bigger capacity within us to be a better human being and being a greater contributor. And so she was that to us. And there were some things that I, I learned from this. Number one, you can love anybody. You don't need a special reason. You just decide you're going to do it. I learned that love is a one-way street. You don't give to get. It's like whatever it is to deliver on your side of the promise. That's all you need to do. Don't expect anything in return. That's not part of the deal. I also learned that, you know, you don't kind of barter with God. You don't decide, well, I'll do this much if I get this back in return. You don't do that. It's like you're either all in or you're not. And you just got to decide who you are and what it is you're going to stand for and what you're willing to do. I also learned that um, there's always enough energy to do anything on behalf of another person. You know, where energy becomes sparse is when it's all in our own self-interest and we're frustrated because we're not getting to where we want to go fast enough. You know, as if it's all about us all the time, there's always enough energy to do anything on behalf of anybody else. Um, I also learned that you, you must always hold sacred, always hold sacred the possibility of a miracle. You never let go of that. You never withhold the idea of the possibility of a miracle any place, any time. I also realized too that you have to have an inherent trust in the process because sometimes that's all you got. You know, my wife and I, our life unit was one day. If we could get through one day, just get to the end of the day, then it was a great day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let's just see if we can get through today. And what I learned about that is that we can become invincible in life where nothing can hurt us. And I got to that place with my daughter because the trust in the process was is that you go all in, you do whatever has to go right now. You don't try to save up for later. You don't put something in reserve that you don't tell everybody else about. So if the musical chairs goes off, you're the person that's got the little stash set aside, you know, it's a safety valve for things. You don't do that. You just step in and do whatever has to get done without any reservation or hesitation. And because of that, I, I feel that there's an invincibility that goes along with this, because if you can step into that space, then Nothing in this world can hurt you. What somebody going to call you a bad name? They're going to take away all your money and steal your car. So what? You know, you, you'll sleep on a cot in the corner of a room because you still got you. You know, and it's up to us to get up and turn the pedals of our own bicycle to move from where we are to where we want to get to. But at least you got your freedom. You got your self-respect. You got your capacity to do stuff. So I, I really feel like my wife and I were really the lucky ones in that sort of sense. So my daughter uh, did serve us in a very uh, challenging way to tease out another side of us that I believe would have been impossible to find, let alone manifest had we not adopted our daughter. Wow. I want to I move back just a second because there was something that you said and you, you went fast on it, but I picked up on it and you said something, you, you were going and then you said, I came from a welfare family. And it's true. I want to, I want to, step back there. The reason why I say it is because anytime I've ever seen a person who gives of themselves the way that you do. Now, you're, you're giving at the highest level, Dr. Jeff. Like when I see it on Clubhouse, like you're pouring your heart and soul. Right now, you're pouring your heart and soul. 
anytime I've ever seen that, there's pain that just happened at some point that there was a fork in the road that caused you to say, like, I don't want this pain to happen to somebody else. Now, I could be completely wrong on this. What pain did you experience during that welfare time? I think it's hard to measure, actually. Um, I could tell you about some revelations that I did have, and that's um, – I, the last time I saw my dad when I was 13 and uh, I learned out 30 years later that he died homeless on the streets of New York city as a genius. So I, I, I learned then as I was informed by my uh, cycling coach, my first angel that um, will and talent aren't enough. You know, there has to be some guardrails that are essential that we need as humans, because one of the premises of the champions uh, way of life is that no one wins alone. You know, it may look like someone wins alone, the guy that holds the trophy maybe, but, you know, we all win because of a team. And without a team, we can never become the best that we can be. So I was very clear about the fact that, you know, my father was missing two things. Number one, he didn't have somebody in his corner that showed him what to do when to be able to keep things on the straight and narrow to evolve into what he could have been. He didn't have that. I think we all need some level of outside guidance that can protect us from our blind spots and our presumptions and keep us and show us how to negotiate the minefield of life to get from where we are to where we could be to create a legacy that is a showcase of what we do with our time and talents that demonstrate for other people what's possible. I do believe that that's absolutely essential. There are no exemptions from that. There are no free passes. Um, The other part is that you must have a methodology that has historically been proven to be able to take you from where you are to where you want to get to. And goal setting is not goal achievement. There are two different things. And somehow we think that if you have a goal, somehow it automatically backfills and the bigger you think, the better it is. But that's not really how it works. It's really important to learn methodology because winning big is not an accident. It's a very intentional outcome of deliberate things that are consistently applied. So we do need to learn a methodology. And my dad had neither of those. He did have the genus and the will, but those didn't help him, didn't save him. So I think there's sort of a metaphor here and how I ended up doing what I'm doing and the model that I've created for myself that I work with my clients with kind of is all about that. We need clarity about where we are, what that means. Do we have the right goals? Do we know how to get from where we are to where we want to get to? How do we create certainty in what we're doing? How do we compress time once we pull the friction out of the system to amass the greatest number of personal successes that create a legacy that reflect our ability to showcase our talents? which is the definition of a champion. They're a champion is someone that manifests their uh, gifts. That's the level playing field that we all have the opportunity to explore and create. So a couple of other things that I learned from welfare is that, um, I, and I remember once we were in a, a store and we had this shopping cart full of food. It's the first time I'd seen that in a long time and it was all food stamps, but you know, my, my stomach said, yeah, that's great. But my heart said, you know what? I didn't earn this. And that didn't feel right to me. That's just me, not my personal deal. It's like, I kind of feel like I have to tone my weight in a certain sense because my empowerment, my confidence in self has everything to do with my belief and my ability to manifest. And I'm the one that has to develop the skills to be able to showcase me as a capable individual that can not only contribute and demonstrate and give back to people the gift that only I could give, that only Kelly can give, that only each and every one of us can give because there's only one of us on creation. To give back, we have to develop the skills to do that. And we get an empowerment from that. 
And so I, I recognize that as well. And so uh, the other thing that I'll say about this is that I've never said this to anybody, but I, I will say it to you and, and the audience here is that um, my mother was very talented. And when we went on welfare, she became addicted to it. And she could never take herself off of it because she was afraid that if she took herself off of it, she would not have the resources to get the food, things that she needed human, but the cost gave up her talent. She gave up her initiative. She gave up the possibility of what she could have been. And I believe that she died of a broken heart because of that. I really do believe that because she was addicted to pain medication. I found out after she passed away and we cleaned out her house and found these thousands and thousands of, of, medicine bottles there that were there for that reason. So again, um, that was an important milestone in my life that uh, it permanently and indelibly kind of etched an experience in me that uh, did have impact for sure. Another pause for station identification and shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Finley Cars of Las Vegas. I tell you, next level in the car buying experience, and not only that, but the life of your car, the service that you're going to uh, experience is incredible. It's Finley Volvo Cars uh, LV.com. And also brought to you by uh, Bling Shine Serum, the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture, strength, and shine, and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama. When I showed her all the features and benefits, she smelled it and she said, this is the greatest product that you've ever done. And I thought, mom, do you not uh, look at the features and benefits? She said, no, if it smells like that, it must work. And I tell you, every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life. And this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com. So in the event now, uh, it's hard for me to even ask this question, but I'm going to ask the question. It's all fair. Okay. All fair. On your website, you're very specific on the type of people you would coach. Yeah. You're, you're very specific. Like if, if you're not a person who wants to go after and become a champion of what you, who you are, I'm not for you. Like, Correct. and I'm paraphrasing, but this is, I mean, this is basically yeah. what it is. I mean, Dr. Jeff, mm -hmm. people who work with you want to go to that level and they want to continue to be a champion for their whole life. It's not a, mm -hmm. a quick fix. It's not a, a flash in the pan. Right. Yeah. Right. If it's a ride of privilege. Yeah, for sure. If you had two new clients today and they were your parents, how would you coach them? Well, I would uh, go back to what I always do with every client. We need to get clarity first and foremost. We need to understand where you are, specifically like taking a thumbtack and putting it on the map on a wall and saying, you're here for these reasons. And these are the variables that we need to look at. We need to modify to get you from where you are to where you want to get to. We know what your blind spots are. And so this is the chessboard as it really is. And there are certain things that have to be modified here to get you from where you are to where you want to get to. And the more responsibly we start to reconcile and resolve those things, then we'll start to pick up speed to get you from where you are to where you want to get to. But you can't think your way to a place that you don't have the skill to manifest the action steps to get there. That's what I would say. And I'm not the person that could give you the motivation. You're the one that has to show up, you know, and you have to provide that part of the equation because I cannot give that to you. I can show you the reality and I can show you the process. I can show you the exact steps but you're the one that has to take charge of this. You're the one that has to decide how important this is to you. So when you went into, um, you know, when you're a very methodical guy, um, you, you know, when you, when you were talking about, you can't think your way to a like Correct. I'm paraphrasing again, you can't think your way to a, a, a championship. 
You've got to have methodology right. in place. When you right. had your wife come into, into your life, a lot of yeah. times as a methodology person, when you get into a relationship, especially with a woman, that methodology sometimes <laughs> goes out the door. Dr. Jeff, talk to us about that. When you're like, literally, you're like, I'm a gold medal guy. I'm not a bronze medal guy. But as husbands, we know that sometimes we ain't even on the podium. Talk to me about how you were able to adjust, Dr. Jeff, and maybe not yeah. get a gold medal in marriage. Well, I, I think, again, um, when we talk about the, the, the true champion, um, the champion um, has a, a wide expanse of uh, abilities to know when to push and when to pause. I mean, that's essential. You can't push all the time. Otherwise, you're going to prematurely blow yourself up, which we see all the time. And so there is a bit of a give and take, but I think selecting your teammates is really important. And so my wife comes from a background of, she has a very solid work ethic. Uh, she's Eastern European by gene pool and by upbringing. Um, so she doesn't have this too domesticated sense about her. She's very uh, tuned in to exploring possibility and she understands what it takes to get from where you are to where you want to get to. And I never had blinders on. I was never pushed to try to pursue something at the expense of my personal life. I never did that because I always felt that um, everything has to win. If I make a decision today that helps me today, but hurts me tomorrow, then it's a bad choice. So I was never really tempted to stray off the reservation and put our relationship in jeopardy uh, because I never felt that uh, I would be judged by what I did or I didn't accomplish in life. I would be judged by why I did what I did and who I was and what I said and what I did, of course, but the scorecard wasn't the items on display um, in the uh, archive of achievements, but it was really in me, the person. So that's never been a difficult one for myself, but I do know, and I have worked with people that when you kind of turn off the ambition against the uh, personal side of life, that it does become challenging. So I factor that into it as well, because there are certain things that have to go right if you're going to manifest the best that you can be across the board and everything, that's what we call full potential. And so if there are certain blocks that a person has that I see that they don't, then there's a certain period of time where we're testing what I see as a potential limitation as to whether or not it's the final roadblock, because there are certain people you get to a certain point, they just can't go any further because you just don't have the capacity to get there. And if that's it, then you have to take that as it because no amount of talking is going to make any difference. You just need to know what that limit is. And the sooner you know it, the better it is. Tell us the last time that uh, Mrs. Spencer told you, turn off the methodology, brother, and let's watch a movie together. And I need you to shut that down completely. Like, because I, again, like it's one of those things where ladies can break us in, in down in a completely different way than anybody oh, totally. else, yeah, yeah. right? They, yeah, and they always win them too. Yeah, for and, sure. They do, yeah. and and sure. so sure. how many how many times? Because I'm a systems guy, but I when I try and pull <laughs> system on my wife, I'm like, yeah, and I'm listening to her, and I'm like, and I'm getting the the reason why she's making the decision, and then she turns to me and she's like, "Don't try your stuff on me. It ain't gonna work." Talk to us about that, <laughs> Doctor Jeff. Well, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, let me put it this way. If you see the look that only a wife can give, then you better pay attention to it. That's all I can say. 
And if you want to test it out further, you just say, is everything okay? What's wrong? And if they say nothing, that's a sign to pull the emergency brake right away. <laughs> just stop immediately, stop everything, sit down, have a conversation. Oh, it's nothing really. It's just like an ice, you know, it's a freezer in here right now. You know, the barrier's up and nothing. Oh, I see. So that's clear sign. Stop. SOS. Let's have a conversation. It's my best advice. <laughs> so when when has she been able to call you on your stuff? Like my wife, honestly, like she called me on my stuff today. I said, you know, I want to do X. And she was like, okay, where's your calendar? And I was like, look, I'm going to do it. I said, I'm going to do it. I'll do it. And she's like, no, where's your calendar? I want to see your calendar now. I want you to put it on there. I want you to put an alert and you want to do it. Nobody else in my life can call me on crap like that, <laughs> right? It does, does it, Talk to us about, I mean, tell us a time when that when that's happened with you. Well, I, I can only say in my case, it's the look. I mean, it's the look, it's the look that only a wife can give, man. It's like nothing needs to be explained any further. It's just stop right now. You know, it's like, or take your chances. I mean, everybody knows what's on the other side of that, uh -oh. right? I ain't trying to but take those chances. To listen because it's not going to turn out any other way than we know it's going to turn out, right? So we might as well roll, you know, run the white flag up the pole and just stop right now and do it. It's the only way to handle it that I can see. So talk to, talk to me too. You talked about the first angel. Tell me the second angel. Yeah, the second angel. When I was 18, um, I met my life mentor. He was 76 and I was 18. He was a true renaissance man. He was a trained university metallurgist. He was a war correspondent, World War One. He was a poet, a playwright, an author. He won an Emmy for a movie that was done about his creative philosophy. And it was also the creator of a brand new type of art glass sculpture that had never been done before. And I met him through a neighbor of mine and edited his Emmy award-winning film. And he chose me to be his apprentice that uh, supported him in the creation of his glass masterpieces. And so the real take home from that was, is that during our breaks, um, I was, you know, athlete with aspirations to become an Olympian. I was uh, uh, enrolled at the university of Southern California studying sports science at the time. So I had these three balls in the juggling act, but uh, at the breaks and at lunch, he would play, classical music to me he would read the poets and the playwrights and the great philosophers and he said i need to fill you up on this stuff and i had the capacity to absorb that so what he did he filled me up on that side of it that made me a better me in every way because i had the coach of the century in my corner for my athletic career i had him to nurture and cultivate the humanity side of me or maybe the intellectual soul side of me. And I had the intellectual support in college to help build a better brain, et cetera. So um, that was a pretty formidable triage of influences there that were in this crucible kind of forming the cauldron and the cocktail that would make me up, that would create the lens by which I would receive and process information, respond to life through. And uh, I owe him everything. Eventually, I got to a point with my art glass sculpture where I showed in the best galleries in New York City, literally with the top glass artists in the world. My work was that good to only say that that was another side of me that got teased out that I didn't select, but the angels showed up and it, it drew that uh, from me, uh, from the inside out. That's very much part of what I do with the clients that I work with. I kind of feel like with them, I'm writing their poetry with them side by side you know, so that we're getting the right pacing and the right texture and doing all the right things for them to craft their best um, legacies. And so that was uh, angel number two, for sure.
Here we go again with the shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Piper Diamonds for all your jewelry needs. My necklace that I get complimented all over the country and all over the world, uh, my pennant was made by Piper Diamonds Company. This place is absolutely phenomenal. When you're looking for that special something for that special someone, Piper Diamonds is the only answer. It's piperdiamonds.co. And it's also brought to you by Kelly Cardenas Salon in Las Vegas and in Chicago. This is top-level service, guys, without the ego and, hands down, the greatest shampoo experience that you will ever have in your life. This will create uh, an evangelistic-type uh, experience. You will be talking about this for years and years to come. The wash house, uh, completely separate area, com- uh, different sound system, soundproofed, head, neck, and shoulder massage. You will be over the moon with your experience, and you can uh, schedule your appointment at kellycardinasalon.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Are you sure you're telling me your life story, or is this Goodwill Hunting and, and Dead Poet Society no, no, together? No, saying I mean, Jeff, this is, it's Dr. Jeff, deal. this is amazing, like, to be able to see it. Okay, I want, you yada yadded me a little bit, because you were like, uh, I was a welfare family, and then you were like, yeah, and then somebody noticed me, and I got this Olympian coach. How, like, tell me in between those two things, because a lot of times, a person coming from, you know, you, you had a, a single mom for a little bit of time, am I correct? So you had a single mom for a little bit of time. You guys are dealing with welfare. You're not around like, I mean, I live in Carlsbad in, in say like Orange County. All my guests, all my friends have tutors and, and coaches and all these things where growing up like you did, it's not like you're around super high level coaches. How'd you come in contact with the people in the first place? I just think it was the hand of God. That's the only way I can explain it because I think I was a willing person that never had a jealous, envious bone in my body. I wasn't malicious, but I was willing to do the work and I had a proclivity, I think, for being able to absorb a variety of different things that would create a different composite as a person. And those people we've talked about, two of my mentors, there's a third one uh, that uh, plays an important role, but I don't know. I just sort of feel like, you know, they showed up and they provided something that I could receive that they could also feel like their sharing was honored. And it seemed to work out effortlessly for all of us. I I can't explain it uh, other than that. I'm at a loss to say it, but only to say that I recognized it as a gift and I stepped into it and I honored it with every ounce of commitment that I could to showcase and respect the value of what they extended to me that they gave selflessly without any expectation of anything in return. That was just incredible for me. Well, I want to, my hat's off to you, Dr. Jeff, because at 18 years old to have a 76, you said 76 or 78? 76 year old that was going to teach you. A lot of 18 year olds would have been like, I ain't trying to hang out with him. Like he's, you know, he's, he's like, he's like Moses, you know what I'm saying? He smelled like cotton balls. You know what I'm saying? Like I may try or moth balls. I ain't trying to be around that, but it's amazing to be able to see like your mind where you process things and, and you're not only aware of things, but you acknowledge things at the highest level, which creates and unlocks an aspiration for you as you go mm-hmm. along. Let's go to angel number three. What's behind door number three? <laughs> well, I explain it like this is that, uh, you know, coming from a welfare family, when I was training to be Olympian, I was actually living in a garage and the garage had this little small refrigerator and, my HVAC system in there was, uh, you know, the moving vans that had those really thick pleated blankets. 
Well, when I got cold, I just put another one of those blankets on. So I put on 10 blankets. And when I got warm, I'd take one off and I'd stick my foot out between. That was my heating and cooling system in the garage that I was living in. And so um, uh, one day at the velodrome where I was training at uh, for the Olympics, this person showed up with a very thick French accent. And he said hello to me. And I kind of noticed him. He was very different. He was calm. He had a sophistication about him that I, I had this gravity towards. And he said, come see me afterwards. And so I looked at the card and it was a, he owned a delicatessen uh, that was a couple miles from the velodrome there. So I went over there in my Volkswagen panel van and uh, I jumped out and went inside and he came out and he said hello. And we started talking. Um, and uh, he said, uh, I need to go take care of something, but that little white package up on the counter there, that's for you. And so I said, well, that's weird. So I went over there and I picked it up and it was like uh, a week's worth of meat that he put aside for me. And I said, how did he know? It's like, I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. It's like, how do you know that? You know how we've had those moments in our history? Like, how did the person know that that's what I needed right now? How did they know that? And so um, I came to find out later, he was always there for me. He did a lot of things for me uh, without any expectation of anything in return. And then I found out that uh, he was uh, in a concentration camp in World War II. He was a Jew that was thrown in a concentration camp. And he explained to me once about, I don't know, he said something like what I saw was so horrific. And all he did was look down and turn away. But when I first noticed him, when he showed up at the velodrome, he had this dignity about him. He was like a completely reconciled guy. And it's like, I wanted that, you know? And I found out that despite the fact that he was exposed to every human cruelty, you could imagine there was not a vengeful bone in his body. He was completely reconciled. So what he taught me is, is that there is a place that we can go as humans that can reconcile anything, even the most heinous of life's experiences can somehow be reconciled where we can get beyond that. And we can be the antithesis of everything that is wrong with humanity. We could be the opposite of that. We could be everything that is so right with it. And he taught that to me and he was always there for me. There was always that package sitting on top of the counter that I could count on. And when I go in there, he'd give me a wink. That was it. I'd take the package. And I owe a lot to him for that because he allowed me to become what I could have been because if you don't get the right nutrition, no matter how hard, how bad you want to be an Olympian, you're not going to get there. And he was the guy that provided me with that ability to rebuild my body from the very vigorous training that I found myself in day in and day out. Angel three. So when you're a kid, seven years old, you see the Olympic, uh, the Olympics happen. You see the parade happening. You say, I want to walk in there. I want to turn the corner. I want to feel what that feels like. Dr. Jeff, after all the things that you've been able to do now, yeah. what's the parade right now? <sighs> the parade right now is, um, it's a decision that every one of us has to make every day. It's probably the most important decision of our life. We have to decide how and why we're going to show up. 
I know that because of my daughter, because had people showed up differently for her, she wouldn't be suffering from some of the challenges that she didn't ask for that are people imposed on her because of the way that they showed up. And I feel like every one of us has to make that conscious choice every day because, you know, if we let human nature control our decisions where we're going to not, we're not going to show up from our best. That's a conscious choice that we have to make every day. And we have to commit to that. And for me, that's the most important thing is why and how we show up because that's our scorecard. You know, when I was dying from mercury poisoning 20 years ago, realize that yeah, I didn't want to die, but if I had to die, I guess some people do. I, I get that, but I didn't, I'm glad I didn't, but I realized that if I did die, the only thing that I was going to take with me is what I gave people. All the other stuff didn't matter. And what I was going to be remembered for is what I did give people. That was really the only currency that made any difference in my mind. Everything else is elusive, ephemeral. It's never enough, you know, but this was something of permanence that's worthy of aspiration, having aspirations to. And so every day, like right now, I'll be 70 in a couple of uh, weeks. I don't know what that's supposed to feel or look like, but, you know, that's what it's going to be. And I feel like I'm kind of just getting my engines running and I've got something that others don't. I've got wisdom, you know, I've got uh, scar tissue. I've got uh, time in the seat. And I feel like I can offer a lot to individuals, teams, and organizations to spare them a lot of misery and heartache by showing them the reality of what it is and how to get from where you are to where you want to go. And I feel that uh, somebody asked me, well, you know, it's kind of a morbid thought, but, you know, what do you want to be written on your tombstone? I said, uh, he answered the call. Because I know that if I'm faithful to listening and be in receivership, a possibility it's never not shown up. And I'm okay standing below something. It just doesn't have to be my will and my push to get there. I, I'm, I'm very okay uh, with being subservient to, to a higher calling. I'm okay with that, 100%. And if I feel like I've done that, then there's nothing more that I could possibly have done in life. You know, I showed up for duty. I was honorable in it. I'm not conflicted by it. I don't feel like I'm giving anything up. I feel like I've actually done what I'm supposed to do. I enjoyed it. I felt the effortless experience. I know the elation of playing at your full potential as an Olympian. It's the most euphoric state of being that I could ever imagine to be at your absolute best. I, I can understand why astronauts go to the moon and they come back and they're tweaked out. They just can't relate because it shifts the whole scaling of what you see as possible. And that's how it was. The Olympics was for me. You come back and you realize that, you know, maybe what I thought was 100% is really only 70% of what's possible. There's this whole other panoramic view of capacity once you kind of experience that. So that not only changed my life permanently forever, but I always felt that, um, you know, part of our job in honoring our talents is to showcase and share with other people the true path to get there that will allow other people to have a chance at the same experience because I do feel at the end of the day, all of us have to kind of reconcile and come to terms with the quality of our life and our own decisions. And I think that it's important that we make proactive, good offensive choices to uh, represent that which we know to be true and that we have the confidence and the conviction to step into that which we're called to do. And I feel like with that, then there's uh, no dishonor whatsoever because we not only showed up a strong intent, but we executed faithfully the things that had to go right to honor that. 
And whatever happens outside of that, well, then that's God's business, not ours, you know, and I, I'm okay with that. With the gold medal mentality, okay, and I keep going back to that, the gold medal mentality, I'm not a bronze medal dude. Yeah. Dr. Jeff, what do you do that has nothing to do with getting a gold medal that just makes you belly laugh, makes you joyful, and is probably bad for you, but you just love it so much that you do it. And when I say this, I, I'm I'm going to be the first podcast that will be sponsored by Carnation uh, um, uh, Ice Cream Sandwiches because they are the best. Okay, well, that's close. And, okay, well, that's close. <laughs> and, and I do not care how many calories they have. I'm trying to smash them things. I'm buying a 12-pack, <laughs> and I'm eating all of them. While I'm looking at a coach that would be telling me, yo, you need to make sure you got your calorie count right, and there's going to be a – I don't care. Like, I just shut it down. What's the thing you shut it down for that makes you belly laugh, that makes you just be like, yo, I'm Dr. Jeff, and I'm great in everything, but this one, I'm about to smash these ice cream sandwiches. Okay, well, well a couple of things. If you do do that, let me know, because I, I, I still got the skill in me. Because as a kid, what we used to do with the ice cream sandwiches, you, you get them sort of warm. You put your hands on and warm them up a little bit, right? And then what you do, you kind of press down on the top and the bottom, so the uh, ice cream would sort of move out the sides. Then you stick the tongue along the side, you glide it around the guardrails there. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so listen, I am so up for that. You know, get a dozen, we'll enjoy it together. Yes. So seriously, man, I'm all in, man. I'll come up and see an LV, man. I'm in. So um, so now that we got that out of the way, um, you know, what I'll say here too, and I'm going to tell you a little story about the Tour de France here. You know, I was involved in nine Tour de France's. It, it's a difficult sport, man. It puts your mind and your body at the limit. You think, you know, things are tough, man. It's it's the worst ever. It's inhumane. Um, so one of the persons, someone said to me once, it's like, you know, the Tour de France is a hard uh, sport. You know, you must work really hard to keep things absolutely perfect for the athletes, man. You just got to be perfect on everything. And they said, well, what's the perfect diet? What do they eat? I said, well, you know, this is what they eat, blah, 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 blah. And then I say, you know, the one thing that they also do too is that every day we make sure that they eat cookies. <laughs> what do you mean eat cookies? <laughs> and I said, well, look, if you were in the worst moment of your life and you were suffering for three weeks, would you want to have a lecture on alfalfa sprouts? I mean, how would that make you feel? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that would be a real motivator, right? So I said that morale trumps everything. So you're going to give them cookies to at least have some level of morale because that's going to be a much better performance booster than giving them a lecture on alfalfa sprouts and bean shoots right <laughs> so let's get this straight if you're going to play an a game man you got to have these things to balance out the morale you know otherwise it's just too much you just can't handle it so i'm a big supporter of being able to find the vices that we can all wink 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 at each other about this is my fact i was working with an athlete once he was a very precocious guy the team paid me a ton of money to try to extract all of his talent out of him so the guy was wound way too tight man so i said okay here's your coaching for the next month uh you're gonna go to baskin and robin's 31 flavors every day and you're gonna get three scoops of ice cream and a piece of pie and he looked at me said you're crazy right that's like rat poison <laughs> I said, well, if that's what it is, then that's what you're going to have for the next month. He said, well, why do you want me to do that? I said, because you're putting too much of your confidence in your stupid vitamins. you got to throw them away. you got to realize you're the guy that shows up and makes things happen. It's not your vitamins. Are you sure? I said, yeah. So I'm going to take my phone with me. You're going to go right now. I want you to call me up and tell me what flavors you got. So an hour later, ring, ring, ring. Yeah, hello. And so, well, what'd you get? You know, pralines of cream, a Joe Book almond fudge, and I don't know, fudge ripple. I said, uh, I said, well, 
how was it? <laughs> and he started laughing his head off, right? And I said, what about the pie? He said, pecan pie all the way. And so I said, well, what'd you learn from this? He said, oh, well, I'm not going to die if I enjoy myself. I said, that's what I want you to learn. <laughs> so then he went out and won all these championships and stuff. So <laughs> just to sort of say that what it really is is a lot different than the experts try to make us think that it really is. Okay, so we play the real gold medal game. We don't do the pseudo stuff. You know, no imposters. So there you have it. Oh, Dr. Jeff, the whole reason why I started the podcast, man. I mean, this belly laugh right now, <laughs> this belly laugh was just worth, like, this was worth the whole thing, man. I, hey, That's what I'm talking about. Hey, you can, you can have you some Tiger Woods. You can have you some U2. Give That's me the belly laugh. Give, give me the 31 flavors, and I'm good. Um <laughs> Man, I'm so in. That's all I'm I'm ruined for the rest of the day. That's all I'm going to think about. Hey, well, you know, I told told Justin this. I told Nick this. I said, you know, buckle up because I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life anyway. So you're in. Like, you might as well give in now. I've got that champion spirit in friendship. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't go go bronze medal in friendship. So you're, you're locked in. So. I want, right, <laughs> I want to tell you this, uh, Dr. Jeff, I started the podcast because of my kids and Maddox, who's nine and, uh, McKenna's who's 12, who's 12 Maddox. We, um, I haven't told him this, but I, at a very early age, I started to design things around what I wanted to see in him. Not that I was trying to force him to be something, but I wanted him to be completely free. So when he would come yeah. down and have mismatched socks, I would be like, yo, that's Maddox style. When he would come down and have underwear, his drawers over the top of his jeans, I'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we, he's got, wait till you see him. He's got his head shaved on one side all the way down. He's got like a, almost like a Vikings kind of haircut. My daughter, yeah. So I encourage that part. My daughter has the biggest heart that you could ever, I mean, she has so much love in her. Uh, she took an avocado and you know, how you put the avocado with the, with the um, toothpicks in and you wait for it to sprout a little bit and then you plant it in the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She literally didn't even use soil, like potting soil. She just took an avocado tree, put it in the ground out in our front yard, just buried it, didn't water it. And it started to grow, started to grow a tree. She's got so much love in her. And mm. so I made the, the podcast for them because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself that have, created, that have accomplished crazy things. And I wanted to show them that you're nothing more than a human being who has a phenomenal right. attitude and great work ethic. What advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could say their names, it would be amazing. Yeah, so Maddox and McKenna, you know, Uncle Jeff's advice here is that number one, just continue to follow your curiosity and when you're called to turn left, we'll turn left. Don't doubt it. And that will be your path forward where you will find that there's an exponential reward on the other side of that. And those beautiful things to come will be much less effortless than if you huff and puff and try too hard to be too perfect all the time. Well, Dr. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. I'm telling you, this, I mean, my stomach hurts. I think I've got abs, so now I don't have to go through more training. Um, I need to work out. <laughs> That's it. We're done. I, I, I love it. And I want, I want to thank you so much, man. I've been looking forward to this day. It has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, you. you know, now's the time if you're listening out there, uh, you know, obviously you got like 10 pages, 12 pages, you got a full journal full of notes, uh, from Dr. Jeff. You got to check him out. You got to follow him. Make sure that you eat a lot of cookies. Go to Baskin Robbins a lot. That's that's how to become a champion. Um, But we want to thank you. We want to make sure that you check out the sponsors, do all the things that you know you need to do. But Dr. Jeff, it has been an absolute pleasure. 
All right, Kelly, thanks again. And just remember, everybody, there's only one of you in all of creation. There's always room at the top for the best, onward and upward, and we'll see you next time.